certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Bradley Robert Edwards is the Claremont killer, but not a serial killer, having been cleared of murdering Sarah Spears. Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of Claremont in Conversation, The Verdict. Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Alison Fan with you and welcome back to leading criminal law barrister, Tom Percy QC. Tom, can we start with you? Can, can you see any way that Justice Hall could have found Bradley Edwards guilty for the murder of Sarah? Well, quite easily. He... Um had an exhausting look at the uh, propensity evidence, but found at the end of the day there are insufficient similarities to enable the, to, uh, the factors relied upon by the prosecution to have any significant probative value. Now, I won't bore you with what the law is in that regard, but uh, in recent years, the law in relation to propensity evidence has become uh, somewhat narrowed. So he was bound to some extent, to, with, to the extent to which he could apply that in favour of the prosecution case in respect of um, uh, Sarah Spears. But if you have a look at an article I wrote this morning in the West, it's on page 11 of the wraparound, I isolated eight issues which he found adverse to the prosecution. I mean, on, on one superficial level, if you have a look at the judgment, say, oh, well, he's embraced the prosecution case uh, where there was a body. Well, the fact is he hasn't. And um, there are a number of issues put forward, the Wellard screams, the Mosman Park screams, the sexual motive, the criminal pattern, identification evidence and things like that, which he rejected. Now, the prosecution might uh, have thought they were unlucky there, and they stood a good chance of getting a conviction on Sarah Spears if he'd embraced any of those. And they may well want to chance their arm at an appeal. So can you just explain for people the legal reasons behind the acquittal? Well, it just wasn't satisfied beyond reasonable doubt. He he looked at everything that the prosecution had brought up, everything they said supported their case. He liked some of it. He didn't like some of it. The parts that he liked weren't sufficient to get him over the line beyond reasonable doubt. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And... Justice Hall said that Edwards is a, a likely suspect or even the probable killer. And I think for many people and for those people who aren't in the law, it might make this verdict a bit of a difficult pill to swallow. Well, that's what the onus and uh, standard of proof is all about. And the lay people sometimes have difficulty coming to terms with that. For instance, uh, a lot of civil cases are decided on the civil standard and that's the way the judgment goes and there are major ramifications when something's proved on the balance of probabilities. Beyond reasonable doubt is a much higher higher one and that's the standard that's always been applicable in criminal cases and that's the standard that Justice Hall applied. Tom, do you also think maybe he just didn't want to open any other areas for maybe grounds for appeal if he'd found something on Sarah Spears? I don't think that uh, really would ever come into his consideration, Ali. Uh, you know, there's always a possibility that uh, that he might uh, appeal anyway. I mean, he might not uh, might not agree with the way in which the propensity evidence was uh, used in support of uh, the Glennon case and the uh, Rimmer case. He might not like the fact that his challenge to the uh, DNA evidence was uh, not accepted. He might not like the uh, analysis 
of the fibre evidence. There's plenty of fertile ground upon which he might want to appeal. And I don't think any judge, when they sit down to write their judgment, does it with a weather eye to an appeal. Mm. 619 pages. I mean, um, there, there would be plenty of um, plenty of material to, to, to mine through, and it, and it only takes one line of a, you know, in a jury trial, for instance, one line of a judge's summing up can can bring the whole um, the, the the whole pyramid of cards sort of crashing down. But um, uh, you know, as we've discussed previously, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we've discussed it though that. Justice Hall is is meticulous. Um, he, he showed that in court, and he's shown that in previous judgments. But um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure Mr. Jovic and and all his team will be sort of scouring the uh, thousands of paragraphs to see if there are um, um, possibilities to to maybe get a foothold somewhere um, on the yeah. big mountain that it is a bit that is an appeal. I don't think uh, that um, they would really need to go trawling for the same sort of. Uh technical issue or infelicitous turn of phrase that might have led to the uh, appeal being upheld in Wark's case. I think what you're talking about, the Haley Dodd case, and and it's not not unique to that. I mean, sometimes that happens. But I I, I would think they may well want to mount a challenge on the basis of the findings, uh, the critical findings, the three critical findings, one, DNA, two, fibre, three, caracata, and how the judge used those. Now, uh, my initial impression is that they, they they seem to be fine, but you know others more learned than me may well have a difficulty with them. No, there's no one more learned than you, Tom. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and what about um, an appeal from the prosecution side? On I the- reckon, as we sit here, as we sit here and speak, that's what will be going through their minds. I I really think right at this very moment they're probably sitting down at the offices of the DPP. And pouring over those judgments and saying, how do we miss out on so many points? And uh, is the result of that the acquittal in relation to Spears? Would there be any incentive or any reason whatsoever for Edwards to speak up? Um, obviously, there's been calls for him to to come forward if he has any information about the whereabouts of Sarah. What would be the incentive for, for him to do that? Well, that question is predicated, and it's a loaded question, that, uh, that A, he was responsible for a death, B, that he knows where she is, um, and the answer to that is no. There's absolutely no incentive for him at all. He's probably never going to get out, uh, and uh, you know, having two murder convictions against his name, I don't think there's going to be much difference for him uh, in relation to the other one. Nothing at all, and I don't see any government at any time or any Attorney General doing a deal with him. I unfortunately concur there because uh, on on top of that, Mr Edwards has shown plenty of propensity in other areas, but absolutely no propensity to own up to anything he's done apart from the Hollywood attack, and he was literally caught in the act. There was a security guard on him within 15 seconds of that attack. Um, I think that's probably... um, a little unfair. He played guilty to Caracatta. Well, yeah, no, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that is true. That is true. Four years down the track and following a conviction, may he have a change of heart, just as he did in related you know, to Huntingdale and Caracatta? And the answer is possibly. But the question you asked was, is there anything in it for him? And the answer is no, there's not. No. 
And if there was, we talked about this yesterday in the podcast uh, about this idea of double jeopardy. If you know, police have said that they will not give up on the on the search for Sarah. If there was some sort of compelling evidence to present itself, what would be the possibilities of uh, those charges to be heard fresh? Well, there's no impediment to that whatsoever. The law changed. Uh, Parliament changed the law there like a few years back. I don't think it's ever been utilised yet, but if let's say they found a body and something linking that body to Edwards, they'd be in the Court of Appeal quicker than you can say Jack Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. And the police commissioner uh, was asked directly about that on radio this morning and and, and said, as he said yesterday, the case is open, it will remain open forever, and those double jeopardy laws were changed and are in effect and... um, (sighs) Could be used um, if we had um, access to the fresh and compelling evidence to be able to use them. Yeah. So today, uh, Kira's dad, Dennis Glennon, gave a press conference. This is a little bit of what he had to say. When Kira was deemed a missing person, I appealed for help to find her in a press conference like this in this very same room. And through tears, I said she would fight for her life because of the way she was brought up. She would fight for her life. And little did we know then how prophetic these words would be. As she fought to save her life, she left us the vital DNA clues. Kira was strong in spirit had courage, great courage, but yet as she fought to save her life, she could not save herself because of the brutal assault by her murderer. Kira, as we know, was a lawyer, and I guess, you know, some people have suggested that when she scratched, Bradley Edwards, and when she fought for her life, that she knew exactly what she was doing and how important it was or could be? Well, um, you'd hope you'd be as clear-eyed and clear-thinking as that, but from what we know from her injuries and and the, the scene where she was found, and now Justice Hall has found that she was more than likely killed at... Um, I get the impression that it literally was just that. It was a a, a fight um, for her life um, with a hope of not leaving behind any possible evidence, but in the hope of getting this man off her um, so she might might be able to uh, escape and, and survive. Because um, back then the DNA was, as we all know, in its infancy. Yeah, yeah yes, it was. Um, and we also know that the technology didn't exist for... Um, another decade and a bit to be able to find it Um, and even then a decade on in the trial the technique that was used to find it was still being argued over and and, and contentious so um, as Dennis said there either way whether she was thinking about it um, clearly or thinking about it um, candidly in that I'm I'm in the fight of my life here Mm. um, the DNA was there and um, it was found eventually, and it led to Mr. Edwards's door eventually. Tom, what do you think the ramifications are um, to have 
you know, have this verdict so long after the fact based a lot on, on this DNA? What are the ramifications of future cases, historical cold cases? Well, there's always a chance, isn't there? Uh, it just shows that it's probably never too late. And uh, I think it shows the benefit of preserving the evidence from an early stage. You might not have anything that at the time uh, leads anywhere, but may form part of a jigsaw puzzle a decade, two decades later. And I think we're probably going to see more of that as time goes on. Because um, even though we did hear about a lot of uh, problems with Path West, it seems that they did enough right that um, and kept and preserved it that has brought this case about. I think that's right. I mean, the... As I was watching the DNA evidence materialise in the case, there, there were problems and uh, I think the prosecution had done a very good job to be able to salvage that evidence and, uh, and convince the uh, court that it's intact. Yeah, I, I, I again concur there. There was so much work done by the prosecution to produce the timeline um, from when Mr Edwards' samples first got in the lab to when Kira's samples got in the lab and eventually we're able to show that never the, the twain did meet um, and in fact show the, the, the amount of time between those um, uh, samples being analysed out on a bench somewhere. Eventually it proved to be good practice um, and we heard a lot from Scott Egan and other Pathway scientists that obviously they never deliberately went out to t- contaminate but at the time they were doing it they were and practicing um, in the best way that they they knew how to do then. It might not be the way that they would do it now, certainly not. Um, and we saw an evolution, I suppose, in of a timeline of, of how the forensic practices have um, developed over, over the years. Um, and something Commissioner Dawson said on the radio this morning took me back to the photo in the paper of the kimono that proved to be the final piece in the jigsaw, the policeman holding that kimono for up for the photographs was not wearing gloves, was not wearing a, a smock or a tunic or a mask or a hat. It was just him and his faras and his polo shirt holding up the kimono for the paper. But Paul Ferguson also reinforced too, didn't he, that um, there was sort of some, even though they'd n- had never heard of cross-contamination, there was some innate yeah. Uh, thing in them that they knew certain things had to be done. They, they didn't understand, but they knew that they had to preserve it a certain way. And fortunately, that was what happened. Mm, yeah, as he said to, to to us both, Ali, when we interviewed him, uh, he is of the very firm conviction that what his team did in the early days in 95, 96 laid the foundations for the rest of the case in terms of best practice. Um, or in terms of the best practice they knew how to do at the time. Um, and from what we heard in the trial, um, that, 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 that is right, because there weren't any issues really, uh, certainly at crime scenes. Um, there were some, you know, some ideas floated that there might have been some c- contamination there, but nothing that came anywhere near being um, a major stumbling block for the, for the prosecution. And today, 24 hours after the verdict, Mr Glennon was absolutely emphatic um, about his praise for the scientists and, and people who worked on the forensic side of things over the years, um, and including those honest mistakes. My family has no criticism of what the police or the scientists might have done better during the very lengthy investigation. We have no critique of those involved. 
they did the very best they could with the information, with the methods, with the equipment that they had available to them at that time. And nothing revealed in the trial came as a surprise to us. Nothing, including the honest mistakes. Yes, look, it's, it's all very well to go on and uh, throw a lot of accolades in the direction of the police, but sometimes I don't think we need, should lose sight of the fact that for some years, they effectively put down tools because they thought they had their, their man. Yeah, and the, um, the terrible, terrible damage they did to that man and his family is something that seems to have flown under the radar in them basking in the uh, glory of their convictions yesterday. And I don't say that in a mean-spirited way, but it's something I think we should never forget. No, you're absolutely right, yeah. Tom. And we've talked about Lance Williams on the podcast numerous times. He was put under the most scrutiny... Um, probably of any suspect um, that ended up not being charged in Western Australian history. Um, he paid him an immense price for that personally, as did his, as did his family. Um, and he died before he could actually see his name officially cleared, even though um, de facto he was told that he wasn't a suspect anymore after Mr Edwards' DNA or the unknown male for DNA came back from the UK. And then, obviously, when Mr. Um, Mr. Edwards was charged in 2016, that was another step to his rehabilitation, I suppose, in the public light. And I noticed today in the Post newspaper, his mum, Norma, who's still alive, she's in a uh, nursing home, she's 87 now, um, she said, again, reiterated what the, the effect of that scrutiny, of the effect of that um, publicity had on, on her and her son and her husband, who um, died... So Lance's father died um, less than six months after Lance did. So, yeah, yeah, that, that Tom's absolutely right, and th there is no brushing that out under a carpet. That is should be is a stain. That is a stain on the macro investigation and the investigators who were leading that part of that investigation at the time. We asked the WA Police Minister um, this morning whether the state should make a public and formal apology to the family. And she mentioned that um, Police Minister at the time, Carlo Callaghan, had. But do you think there needs to be something more done about this? Well, I do. And look, he's not the only one. Uh, over the years, I've had to act for a number of people whose names have been thrown up in relation to this, that uh, the West and uh, certainly some suburban newspapers have been very uh, happy to uh, run with as being a suspect. One of them in particular didn't want to give his DNA. They thought that was a sure sign of guilt. These are people who were well known in the Claremont area at the time. And uh, those people's lives will never be the same at being uh, the shadow of guilt having been cast upon them in relation to this matter. So it's not just, uh, it's not just one person. This, uh, this investigation although they're, they're happy just to take all the accolades yesterday, uh, has had some peccadillos. And I can tell you that uh, those sort of things uh, won't be forgotten by a lot of people. The defence attack on the DNA was intense. Tom, do you think the fact that they couldn't actually pinpoint moments of contamination was the problem? Not really. Uh, I think it's just a question of scientific methodology. Some people have different views about it. Some people would have been appalled by what happened. Uh, it's like that in any scientific uh, method investigation. You can call two experts from the other opposing sides of the offence 
and one will say, oh, this is terrible, the, the, the results here are worthless, and other people will say, no, that's fine, that's intact, and uh, obviously uh, the defence in this case had interviewed a lot of people who had serious reservations about some aspects of the scientific process and the DNA results, whereas the prosecution were able to have some other experts who could defend the practice and the integrity of those results. At the end of the day, that was the version that appealed to the judge. Tom, you've seen a lot of defendants in your time. Have you ever seen anyone like Edwards whose demeanour um, has not changed from... It's almost like he's detached, like he's in a parallel universe when, when some of these fairly uh, gruesome details have been read and throughout the whole trial. Um, he's just not shown any emotion apart from a very slight shaking of the head at the very, very end. Oh, look, I don't find that unusual at all, um Quite, quite frankly, the longer you're in jail, awaiting your trial, you know, the more you get inured to this sort of thing. And uh, by the time the trial was approaching, he would have been numb. Uh, none of it hold any meaning for him. And at the end of the day, um, what was the outcome? I mean, there was no glittering prize for him. Mm. Uh, he wasn't going to walk out. He's got a lot of um, access to grind yet. And uh, there was not much in it for him. I can imagine he wasn't that interested in it. And yes, the answer is yes. I've had a lot of clients like that. But even right from the arrest, um, it was a very bland reaction. Sometimes you get that. Mm. Okay. So do you really think he knows where Sarah Spears is buried or <laughs> do you think um, he is, again, in another world? Uh, look, I don't know. I've long since given up trying to work out... Uh, now, whether people are or are not guilty, I just look at the evidence. Uh, I agree with Justice Hall. There's not enough evidence to support a conviction, and who am I to second-guess that? And when they do the psychiatry uh, reports, will that come out public, or was that kept in? I think I think a lot of that will be uh, referred to in court if they make out any, uh, any if they isolate any problems. I'm sure his defence will raise that uh, openly in court. I don't think that will be suppressed. I'm not sure they're going to give us all copies of it, but uh, the issues that they think are of any relevance will be pointed out in open court. I think both the prosecution and the defence, they'll all have their own spin on it. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the the outcome yesterday for the community was, I think for many people, an enormous relief, but I think what you're telling us is, you know, this hasn't run its race yet. Oh, look, I, I think yesterday was a milestone moment, but... Uh, uh, if I was Tim and I was writing the book, I'd keep a few blank pages at the end. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are blank and um, will remain so um, for for a while. Um, there was, a, as Tom says, a chapter or two was uh, written yesterday and today. Um, Dennis's words today were uh, gentle but uh, so powerful. You could have heard a pin drop in the press conference for 20-odd minutes yeah. and some very experienced um, senior police officers puffed out their cheeks after Dennis had gone because it was, you know, it was it was quite an intense um, moment hearing him speak so eloquently about his daughter um, in the same room that he'd made the appeal for information about his, his daughter um, all those years ago. Yeah, look, he's an impressive individual and uh, I think he'll be one of the main uh, memories that people will have of this case in year gone by, him and his family's bravery. But with the appeal process, we could be sitting here next year, could we, Tom? Oh, indeed, yeah. Look, uh, I'm running a, a wrongful conviction appeal in Tasmania 
at the moment, and it's just gone 10 years since the woman was locked up. So, you know, these things can go for a long time. Extraordinary. And, you know, as we kept saying, there is nothing ordinary about the case, uh, but then it is the most ordinary case, as, as Justice Hall was mentioned yesterday in his opening. Well, thank you all very much for your time. And uh, as always, you can read more in the paper tomorrow or online at thewest.com.au. Ali, Tim, Tom Percy, thank you again. We'll be back Monday with some more analysis and answers to your questions for Claremont in Conversation, The Verdict. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.